Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Happy to be with you again today, and thank you for uh, tuning in with us again. It's an opportunity and a privilege to study together the Word of God. Today we are going to look into the Bible as history. It's amazing how the Bible is presenting history, and we are going to look into this a little bit today. I would like to thank all of you coming together uh, via Zoom again, uh, our panel. And I will start with Will. Thank you very much, Will, for uh, joining us. Love the opportunity. Thank you, Nick. And Brenton also. Good to have you with us. Thank you, uh, Nick. And uh, we're looking forward to sharing um, God's Word with our listeners. And Len, good to have you with us also. Thank you, Nick. And hello, listeners. Ken? Thank you. Good to be here again. Today, Helen is our facilitator, and uh, Helen, thank you very much for uh, putting together this uh, study, and welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's absolutely a delight to study together, isn't it? Absolutely. I just love studying scripture, and um, yeah, as you said, this week is going to be very interesting. All right, then uh, let's uh, go straight into it, and uh, Helen, it's uh, over to you. Thank you, Nick. I just want to add what you said about history. History is important because all of life is entrenched in history. There's no human existence outside of history. It's a fabric of life. And the biblical faith is often confirmed by the facts of history based on a God who acts in history. And it is biblical history that is the subject of this week's study. Let's commence first with prayer. And Ken, thank you. Would you like to take prayer for us, please? Sure. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we look into this new Bible study today, we pray for all those people listening, that they would not only hear these words, Heavenly Father, and enjoy the words, but that they would be moved to look deeper into your words, Heavenly Father. We pray, Lord God, that all the words they say will bring glory to your name. And we just thank you, Lord, for all these blessings in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Ken. We're going to look at some famous people and stories in the Bible which have been uncovered by archaeology, proving that they've existed. So we're going to start with David, 12 chapters of 1 Samuel and all of 2 Samuel, and many Psalms record the early life and the reign and the inspired testimony of David as king of Israel. So let's look quickly just at a couple of stories in the Bible about David. We're going to turn to 1 Samuel 17, 40 to 49. Lynn, tell us about this well-known story of David. What's it about? This was one of my favourite Bible stories when I was young. Well, there was war between the Philistines and the Israelites. Philistines kept attacking the Israelites and stealing their food, their animals, and they were a pain in the neck. And there was, on this particular occasion... The two armies were facing each other in what was called the Valley of Elah, the Philistines on one side and the Israelites on the other. But interestingly, they just didn't go into battle. What they did back then, and it's been done since, a champion from each side would fight on behalf of the whole army. The Philistines had their champion called Goliath. The Israelites didn't have a champion because nobody was prepared to face Goliath, who was a monster of a man. He was 
so tall and so big and so powerful, the Israelites were scared. Young David, the shepherd boy, came to, to bring food to his brothers who were involved in the army. And he heard this going on about Goliath and the challenge. And he said, well, why hasn't anybody challenged him? And he was told, he said, well, I'll do it. Well, they thought he was off his head. But I'm going to pick up the story in First Samuel 17 and verse 42. David walked down into the creek bed that ran through there, picked up some stones. He would sling. Now, a sling's not like a Shanghai. It's like a little pouch on the end of a string. And you swing it around, and at a certain point you let it go. And he was a pretty good shot. Anyhow, he went over the creek, heading up towards Goliath on the Philistine side. And verse 42 says, he, that's Goliath, looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And the next bit is what I really like. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down, strike you down and cut off your head. Now anybody who knows this story will know that they came closer together. David put a stone and he slung wizard around as he was charging forward. Apparently Goliath pushed his helmet back. I don't know if this was a divine thing or what. And David slung the stone and it hit Goliath right in the temple. In fact, it broke his skull. He collapsed. David whizzed out Goliath's sword and cut off his head with his own sword. Now, I know this is wonderful, but here I see God's intervention. I don't know if David was that good a shot. I don't know if Goliath would push his helmet back, but I see divine intervention. And because of that particular thing, David survived. And David went on to be the king of Israel. And eventually, Jesus Christ came from that particular line. Thank you, Lynn, for that. You know, <laughs> when you were putting in the voices, it reminded me of when I was a child, you know, and I grew up thinking, well, you know, that's a great story, but not very sure that I actually believed it. And I think, Brenton, you had your hand first, and then we'll go to Nick. Thank you. Um, just briefly, um, to fill in the story, Goliath was 12 feet tall. I only read that this morning. So can you imagine David? Let's say David's 180 centimetres. He's approaching a guy that's twice his height. Wow. Thanks, Nick. Yes. Your turn. As you mentioned, Helen, I think that's a great uh, story to tell, you know, and the uh, children will love that story. 
And uh, we can lose that beautiful story easily just into a, yeah, into a story. Yes, a myth. Uh, what I would like to say about David, uh, and particularly about this occasion, if we look back in the previous chapter, this young boy was already anointed by Samuel as the next king of Israel. This was not just a boy coming on in the picture to be very brave and show off of himself. This was God's leading. And this is again to prove the Bible as an authentic description of history. Because this is what we are looking into today. See how the Bible fits into history. And if we go back to study the... And we'll see during this study for uh, some other characters in the Bible how accurate the Bible is in terms of proving the history. Thank you, Nick. I've got um, Ken and then Len. Thank you. I just wanted to add that it's an amazing story, but... I find one of the amazing things in it is that here we have the all the Israelites and God is their God, and yet it appears that they're not really trusting in God. They're not really sure what to do, and yet the young boy comes along who does believe in God, and, he, and it clearly says here in the Scriptures that, you know, the, the God, our God is with me, and you're going to be mine. And you'd think all the, the hierarchy of the uh, the Israelites would have realized, well, hang on, this is our God that's fighting for us, but they seem to have missed that point. Yes. Good point, good point. Yes, Lynn? Good point. Now, is it just a fairy story or is it not? We're going to find that out soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And just before you move, I, I, I should have just very quickly read that passage in the, in the uh, first Samuel chapter 16 and the second part of... Uh, verse 12 and 13 probably. It says, And the Lord said, This is the one. Anoint him. So, as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil. He had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Rama. I think this is very powerful. This man was led by the Holy Spirit to do that because many people will believe, oh, this was a very brave young man or a very well trained and all those things. I believe with all those things in place, which may be true, the Spirit of God was upon this man. Thank you, Nick. Just, uh, yeah, Brenton, you've got something to say, and then we'll move on. There are actually three occasions on this one day that um, David has proven himself and his character. The first time is when his eldest brother, Eliab, says, what are you doing here? You should be home with the sheep. And uh, he handles that okay without backbiting. The second occasion is when Saul says to him, um, here, take my armour. And he says, look, I can't fight in this. It's no good at all. And the third occasion is when he actually speaks, as Len uh, used his voice impersonation, where he said that um, you come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. And All of these three instances 
prove the character of David, even at the age of 17 or 18 or whatever age he was at that particular point in time. I think there's a lesson for us today that character is formed over time. But even here, the reason David was like he was, I believe, is because he had spent time with sheep and he had to be patient. And Moses went through the same experiences we're going to discover a bit later on. Spending time with sheep makes you very, very patient. And uh, these characteristics are now coming to the fore at just the right time when they're needed. Thank you, Brenton. You had something quickly, Ben? I think the, uh, there's another issue in, with this story. Although it's an exciting story and a good story with a, uh, with a great outcome, there are many people around who just do not believe the story as it is written. In fact, they've said, well, such David never existed. This is just made up. But, you know, David did exist. Archaeology has proven that David existed. Yes. And uh, therefore, we can accept the story as written in the Bible that it's an authentic story and the Bible is an authentic book. Thank you, Len. Yes, and we're going to see a bit more of that in just a moment. Let's move on. David didn't keep his eyes on the Lord all the way through. You know, I acknowledge, Brenton, when you said, you know, he was full of the Holy Spirit and, and um, yeah, but there was a time, and I think, um, Brenton, would you, would you just bring that to us? There was a time when he actually had a moral failure, was there not? Yes, there was. I'll try and summarise the story as, as uh, quickly as I can, Helen, for, for okay. our listeners and for our panel. David was in Jerusalem. He should have been out leading the army against Ammon. Instead of that, he'd put Joab in charge of the army and he was back in Jerusalem. It was springtime, a time when kings always went to war, according to the scripture. And he should have been out leading the troops rather than sitting back in luxury in his palace. One night he got up and went out onto the roof and he saw below him in another house a woman bathing. And apparently, according to the Bible, she was very beautiful. Now, it's interesting. The Bible only mentions about four women as being extremely beautiful and Bathsheba was one of them. And uh, he said, bring her to me. And um, she came to him and he basically um, lay with her and um, she sent word to him a bit later and said, look, I'm pregnant. And uh, David was in a bit of a pickle at that particular stage because she was a married woman. And her husband actually was out fighting in the army where David should have been. And so David devised this very clever scheme. I'm giving you the very short version, a very clever scheme of uh, how are we going to deal with this problem? We have to eliminate Uriah, her husband. And so he actually, in the end, sent Uriah's death warrant in letter form to Joab, the commander of the army. Uh, Uriah had no idea that he was delivering his death warrant to Joab. And the, the uh, letter from David said, put him in where the fiercest part of the battle is going to be and where the strongest defenders are and then withdraw from him so that he dies. And uh, that's exactly what happened. Uriah was killed. After the appropriate period of time, David took her. She became his wife. And it says in chapter 11 of Second Samuel, 
I like this uh, verse, the very last one. And when her mourning was over, David went and brought her to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, in chapter 12, you get a change of scenery. A lot of people think that all of these events must have happened in rapid succession. Wrong. It's possibly as much as 12 months after she became pregnant or even after she had the child before this actually took place, this next event. Nathan the prophet goes to um, David uh, at, at the command of the Lord and he tells him a story about two men and it aroused David's anger. It says in verse 4, he talked about how one man was rich and another man was poor and the rich man had a visitor come to visit him and instead of taking one of his flock and preparing it, he took the only thing that the poor man had, his little ewe lamb, and killed that and served it to the um, visitor. And it says in the Bible that David's anger was kindled and he said the man who did this will surely die and he will pay back fourfold what he took. And then Nathan in verse 7 of chapter uh, 12 says, you are the man. Now, that would have taken a lot of moral courage to tell a king that you were the one in this story. You could find yourself executed fairly quickly. But we are told someone who we believe was touched by the Spirit of God tells us that he awoke as from a dream. He realized that he was the man. He realized that his sin could not be covered. One of the great penitential uh, psalms of um, the Bible is Psalm 32 and also Psalm 51, both written by David after this. The interesting thing is, had David never fallen, had the sin never been discovered, had he continued on the path that he was going down, it's quite possible he, he may have been spiritually lost forever. This woke him up. He recognized that he was a sinner. He recognized that God's grace to him was unbounded. When you read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, you really get the impression that uh, here is a man who said, guilty as charged. I accept whatever you are going to give me, Lord, but please have mercy on me. Mm. I think there's a great lesson for all of us here in this mm. particular story, Helen. Thank uh, you. I want to mention, Helen, and uh, someone may ask, yeah, that's true. That's what the Bible says. What that means for anybody uh, to prove that the Bible is uh, uh, historically proven and uh, the Bible proves history, all with all these accounts which we just look at, how can we say, and we mention about the archaeological support in this way, yeah, how can we answer a question to somebody who wouldn't believe that uh, the account of the Bible is true? We're coming to that, Nick, uh, okay, and very quickly. But I just want to um, address one other point, which Brenton has actually brought up. You know, David had a moral failure. He murdered and he was rebuked by Lord through Nathan. But God said something remarkable about David in Acts 13, 22. And, Will, I'd like you to share that with us if you can. And why, why would God say that? Why would God actually say that after what we've just learned about David? We're just establishing his character at the moment. Then we'll come to history. Thank you, Will. I think if anybody would be 
be shocked to see a man like David add uh, murder to adultery. And uh, many of us would just give up on a man like that or think that he would be lost. But God says something fantastic about him in Acts 13.22. He says, um, the text says, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. God speaking and uh, claiming to have David be a person after his own heart. We're a little surprised by that, but grace speaks to us right here. So David acknowledged his sin, and and, um, again, Brenton, you brought up some of the, um, I think in Psalms, you know, there's some wonderful things that David actually acknowledged his sin. Thank you. Now let's get on to the history side. Ken, does history outside the Bible show that David actually existed? Because if he didn't exist, well, hey, what does this make all these stories? Yes. One of the amazing things about history is it's tied in with archaeology. And over the years, there have been so much discovered through archaeology that proves beyond doubt all these stories in the Bible can be proved. But in particular, in this story that we're looking at today, in 1993, excavations at the northern city of Tel Dan uncovered a monumental inscription written by King Hassal of Damascus, who records his victory over the king of Israel and the king of the house of David. This is the same way the destiny of David is described in the Bible, adding more powerful archaeological evidence that David existed in history, just as the Bible says. So again, we have actually physical written proof from non-Christian people that these people did actually exist. Great. Thank you. Yes, Lane, you wanted to add to that? I think it's rather interesting that archaeology has supported what the Bible says. Therefore, uh, we can accept it as an authentic book. But I really think that we should um, accept the Bible first. The Bible is a historical document as well as being a document about many other things. But if it says it in the Bible, I think we can accept it as truth regardless of whether archaeology has found support for that particular person or that city or whatever it is, because it's a true book. Thank you, Len. Yeah, today few few scholars would argue that David did not exist. But what if he was or had been a fictional character? What if his kingdom was less than the Bible describes? And what points can we consider in response to those questions? Without David... What? Well, without David, the Philistines would have won the battle. David would probably be killed along with um, his brothers and probably the Israelites at that particular time would have been wiped out. So the possibilities are quite devastating, really. Um, mm-hmm. If there was no David, yeah. no Jesus. That's right. Okay, but um, Will, without David, can you add to that? Well, I think of the history of of Jerusalem. David's uh, men actually captured Jerusalem in the year 1004 BC, 
And uh, this uh, Jebusite city, during its long history, Jerusalem has actually been attacked 52 times, captured about 44 times, besieged 23 times, destroyed twice. (laughs) But it all stems back to the conquest of the Jebusite city by Jerusalem. If he hadn't been around, I guess Jerusalem would have had a different history. And not only Christianity is not the only religion that testifies to uh, the presence of David there. You can find it in three different um, um, histories, the Muslim history, the um, Jewish history, and um, Christian history. Yes. Thank you so much, Brenton. Have you got anything more to add without David? Uh, Probably this. Many of David's psalms, the two that I mentioned earlier on were Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. They're known as penitential psalms. However, David wrote psalms of praise. He wrote psalms of imprecation. He wrote psalms asking God to dash and destroy his enemies. He wrote psalms of thanksgiving. In other words, if you want to use the term liturgy of the church, the liturgy of all Christian churches are enriched by the 78 psalms that David wrote because they cover the full gamut, really, of human emotion. And I believe that we worship God, um, as Jesus said to the woman at the well, the Father seeks such to worship him in spirit and in truth. When you read some of David's psalms, they lift your spirits towards God. And I believe he has given an invaluable contribution to uh, the liturgy of Christian faith and Christian worship. Yes. Yeah, just uh, quickly to add uh, also something there we we already mentioned about uh, you know the dynasty of David and uh, Solomon and is known as the golden age of That's right. Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, even people who don't uh, have a clue or don't uh, understand or don't want to uh, know about the Bible much they will still go and visit some of those amazing sites in um, in Israel and uh, learn something more about uh, David. But was, there was one thing which Len said earlier, which is intrigues me a little bit, because Len said that uh, we should accept Bible first and the uh, rest of the things, which is, is true. But I will add to that, which I agree with what Len said. But I, I will add to that, that, not just accept the Bible, but know what the Bible says. Understand what the Bible says. Uh, read, search, study the Bible to put things together, to join all the dots, because otherwise you can be easily tricked. You know, you can easily be told all sorts of stories. And we are living in a world where fairy tales are so uh, popular. You know, and uh, everywhere you go, people like to hear the background of those nations or whatever through fairy stories tales rather than to some uh, solid grounded information and the bible is giving us that information and this is the amazing part of our study today if we study the bible we really understand the flow of history thank you nick right we've just got a couple more without david so um ken would you share please I just wanted to add this one that uh, if many of our listeners or if any of our listeners watch that television program, uh, Who Do You Think You Are?, you will see that the presenters actually trace the lineage of the people that they're interviewing back 
as far back as they can go. And it's absolutely amazing history and some of the things you find out. And here we have again in Isaiah chapter 11 and verses 1 to 10, it shows you the geology of uh, Jesus. And that can be traced back all the way that it is here in verse 1. A rod, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The branch, of course, was the Christ. So we can actually trace Jesus all the way back to Jesse. And again, it's just an amazing thing that you can prove these things. Without David, there would be no promised Messiah coming through that line, would there? And that's, that's the way it looks. <laughs> yeah, that's very crucial to us. But, you know, no other person is mentioned um, more frequently throughout the Old New Testaments than David, from the earliest references in Ruth to the final chapter of Revelation. Without David, the Bible would be completely, would have to be completely rewritten. And I thought that was interesting too. But let's move on, uh, panel. Let's move on next to Isaiah, King Hezekiah, and Sennacherib. In Isaiah 36, 1 to 20, not going to read all that, but uh, Sennacherib's arrogant threat comes through there. And I just want to ask, is there any archaeological, archaeological evidence of the life of King Hezekiah and Sennacherib's conquest? Is that being found by archaeology? I learned about Sennacherib at school, but in 701 B.C., Sennacherib campaigned against Judah and the account is, is recorded in scripture. It is also recorded by Sennacherib himself in several ways. In his historical annals discovered in the capital city of Nineveh, which is called Mosul these days, he boasts, and this is what he wrote, 46 of Hezekiah's strong walled towns and innumerable smaller villages in their neighbourhood, I besieged and conquered. In Sennacherib's palace at Nineveh, he celebrates his defeat at the Judean city of Lashish by covering the walls of a central room of the palace with relief depictions of his siege and the battle against the city. Now, if you don't know what a relief is, it's sort of a picture that's a little bit 3D. Recent excavations at Lashish have uncovered the massive destruction debris of the city after it was burned by Sennacherib, but Jerusalem was miraculously spared. Sennacherib is able to boast only this. This is what he said. As for Hezekiah the Judean, I shut him in his city like a bird in a cage. Well, there's no description of destroying Jerusalem, and no account of captives being taken into slavery. So here are some relatively recent excavations showing that what the Bible said was corroborated by the annals of Sennacherib. In Isaiah 37, we can also read of King Hezekiah's response, the Lord's deliverance, and the end of Sennacherib. But I want to ask the panel, what important lessons can we learn from this historical account for our lives today? I think, think Helen, anyone reading this with an open mind and looking into history, archaeological history, that is available today to everyone, would have to have serious deep thoughts that this must be true or where else did it come from? So I think there's 
absolutely overwhelming proof that if all these things happened in the past, you would have to think surely that, well, predictions that the Bible has made for our time, the end days that we're in, must have to come true as well. Brenton, you had a comment. Yes, I'm going to read something from Second Chronicles 36, verse 20 and 21. Now, because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. Then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned shamed face to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the sword there. I think the lesson not only teaches us that the Bible can be trusted, but we all know that there is a statement in the Bible that says pride goeth before a fall and a haughty spirit before damnation or destruction. Sennacherib embodied that in every aspect. Today they use the term hubris. We've all used, often heard the term used in the media, hubris. Now, he was full of it. And uh, God cut him down to size very, very quickly. I think there's a lesson to learn in our modern society that God is able to abase anybody, no matter how successful they may appear to be. Sennacherib talks about all the, all the cities that he conquered. He doesn't talk about Jerusalem because he didn't conquer it. And um, basically, <laughs> as the Bible says here, he returned to his own country with shame of face. Now, I've been to Egypt. I've seen the pyramids. I've looked at the hieroglyphics. They record their victories. I can't find anywhere on a, a pyramid where they record their defeats. So I think the lesson that we can learn is this in summary. God is able to abase those who are proud, and he is able to do what he wants to do. He said, I will save this city for my name's sake. And note this, he also said, I will save it for the sake of my servant David. Okay, although we're only sharing a few, the study would be incomplete without talking about Daniel or King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. So let's have a look and see how did Daniel's early decisions to honour God impact his own destiny and bless the lives of future generations. Let's just do a summary of Daniel 1, particularly Daniel 1 verse 8. All right, just uh, just briefly, I will read it, Helen. Uh, but mm -hmm. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacy, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. When you read this story, initially you think it's all about the issue of diet. I think it goes a lot deeper than that. What I will say is this. The wine that they were to drink the food that they were to eat would have been offered to idols before it was given to them. We find this issue rearing its ugly head in Romans chapter 12 or 14 in the New Testament. Here, Daniel is drawing a line in the sand for himself and his friends and saying, I'm not going to defile myself physically, but I'm not going to defile myself spiritually by eating of the food and drinking of the wine. I am in effect showing obeisance or obedience to the customs and morals of Babylon. So he was determined that he was going to retain his trust in God. He was going to retain the purity of faith that he had. And we don't spend enough time on this these days, but if people stop to think 
about the fact that the food they eat and the diet that they have has a very strong impact on their spiritual life and uh, their relationship to the Lord. And he is an, a shining example that we can use in 2020 to show people that there is a direct link between diet and your relationship to God. Thank you, Brent. And Len, you wanted to comment. Well, something keeps recurring as you read through the scriptures. A person who dishonors God and acts only on their own selfish ambitions and desires seems to always fall in a hole. A person who does honor God, as did David, who we spoke about earlier, is blessed. And this is almost um, a law, a law of operation, a law of life. Moses announced it to the Israelites. Joshua announced it to the Israelites. You serve and honor God and you will be blessed. If you disobey, then you're going to suffer negative consequences of your actions. Thank you. I would like to also mention uh, here that because of choice, Daniel was able to be included in the history. Because this is very important. If Daniel would have not acted in that way, God may have another name, another person to be included in the history. But you see, with choice, and again, history, it's, and the Bible is proving how things roll on in history. And this mm. is a lesson which I would like to take today. We can be part of history. Or we can be lost in history. Not, nobody to know that we are, uh, we are here. If we do the right thing, if we stand for God, God can make us part of history. Amen. Thank you, Nick. Yes, Ken. I just wanted to add something to what Len was saying about uh, worship, uh, trusting in God and believing in God, uh, etc. I think one of the challenges many non-believers face today is that they do not see any... Uh, purpose or any, shall we say, rewards perhaps to to trust in God or believe in God or, or to seek out God. But history, as we've been talking about, there's a start, there's a finish, and things keep going on and on. But eventually God is going to intervene and there will be a judgment day. And for many people, they're going to be caught unawares because they don't believe in God. But If you talk to many, many Christians today, they get many, many blessings. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we're going to have an easy life and every single thing is going to go well for us. But we do have this inner faith and trust. And we have the knowledge inside inside of that God is real and is, is our shield. Actually, thank you for that, Ken. It reminds me of some preachers who preach the prosperity gospel. You know, there is a book that was written saying um, bad things happen to good people. And, um, yes, we need to realise that although we may not um, have all the blessings that we think that we want, God knows the the, um, area. And if he brings us to it, he'll take us through it. And that's the good and the bad. But just very briefly, because we've uh, only got about 20 minutes to go, so let's just share a time, each of you, if you can think of it, when you purposed or determined or made a choice in your heart to honour God rather than follow the ungodly crowd. Can, can any of you testify in that one? Uh, I, I remember the uh, last job I had some years ago and uh, I was talking to the owner of the business who was uh, 
interviewing me about the job and he was discussing the job and so on and so forth. And I said, uh, everything he, he said, I said, oh, that's fine. There's no issues with that. I says, but I better tell you, I don't work weekends. He says, oh, oh, okay. And he didn't say no more about it. But anyway, some weeks later, when he was doing training with me, he said to me, oh, by the way, uh, you said you didn't work weekends. Uh, why was that? Well, obviously, that was a wonderful time then to have a, a t- testimony of Jesus to him. And uh, he accepted that, and we never, ever had an issue. And I think this is where many people perhaps, today when they go for job interviews, I understand many people are struggling and have challenges, but they think, oh, I can't tell the person I don't work Sabbath or weekends. But if you're up front at the start, it's amazing how God will bless you. Absolutely. Thank you. In my youth, I had a friend called Brian. We went to the same church, and we studied the same things. I think I might have studied it with more interest than he did. Eventually, he got married. He gave up going to church. I couldn't do that. I wanted to be faithful. Brian, uh, as far as I know, had some children. And life for him was rather meaningless. He had a lovely wife. He came home from work one day, had lunch together. He said, I'll just go up and have a little rest in the bedroom. And Marion was uh, cleaning up the dishes from lunch. Next thing, there was a loud bang and Brian had shot himself. His life had no meaning that he could do that. And as far as I'm concerned, life is better with God. Amen. You know, sadly, he made a choice and that was very sad. Myself, growing up in a communist country, as a young boy uh, in a very small village in the Carpathian area in Transylvania, I chose to leave the village and go to the city. And I was exposed to all the things there, even though it was a totalitarian regime there. But I had potential to be, you know, I, I was involved, you know, in uh, uh, show business. I was a dancer, but I was potential also to work in the police force in Romania. And I remember God prompted me and that was the thing which changed my life. Uh, and that question was just coming into my head. What's the purpose of life? I mean, is this just for uh, having a good life for a short period of time on this earth or is more than that? And when I try to consider that, I choose rather to know God more, to learn from God. And I lost all those opportunities, which I mentioned. And one of the things I lost, actually, when I decided to follow God, I lost even the job I was doing at that time in that day. But Hasn't God blessed you, though? Abs- and, and I was going just to say that, Helen. Uh, I cannot thank God more for his leading. Even, as, as I said, as a very simple young man or boy from an area there in Romania, God brought me even to the ends of the world <laughs> to, to be able to uh, share the good news of the gospel with so many people in uh, different cul- from different cultures and through radio right now as we're doing, you know, mm. I'm always amazed and thank God for his leading because I will never thought in my life that I will be able to share the gospel, the good news in these ways 
with so many people. That was not on my uh, radar, as some people used to say. Well, Nick, we're very glad that he brought you down under. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for that. Brenton, you wanted to share something briefly? Uh, very briefly. Uh, I had an experience a number of years ago, Helen and panel. Um, I was doing singing training with one of Adelaide's um, fairly uh, prominent singing teachers, and she recommended me for a part in a musical. Uh, it was actually the story of Ruth. Now, I wasn't going to be Ruth, obviously, but I was going to be Boaz. And I remember I've still got the musical here at home, and I look through it from time to time. Even though it was a biblical story, it was actually being held over the Sabbath day where they were charging money for it. And I made a decision, I believe, that God didn't want me to be involved in that. And so I declined the part. And I remember the director saying, you're um, really missing an opportunity where you can really put your name before uh, some of the people of Adelaide as far as your singing goes. But I believed it was more important to honour God because I believed that in doing that, I would actually, even though it had a Christian name, Ruth, it was really no different from Phantom of the Opera or um, Cats or something like that because it was just a musical production that they were charging money for. I have never since that time ever had any regrets that I turned down the part, even though, it may, God. Even though it may have cost me as far as the singing career went. Yeah, praise God for that. Will? We spoke about Daniel um, and this young man, when he purposed or determined in his heart to follow God, rather than the ungodly crowd. I wonder if he realized that God was going to usher him in to a prophetic ministry. And um, where would we be without the prophetic ministry of, uh, of Daniel? You know, the marvelous uh, prophetic uh, statements uh, in Daniel 2 and uh, chapters 7 to 12, outlining the, outlining the history of this world, is, is absolutely amazing to see it come into fruition or detail, one detail after the other in history. And I, I'm grateful that uh, we have those prophecies uh, through the ministry of Daniel. Where would we be absolutely without them? So let's just move on. Look, I wish we had an hour or two to discuss the life of Jesus along with the historical facts that Jesus definitely walked on this earth, was crucified, rose from the dead and was witnessed by many people afterward. Sadly, we've only got just under 10 minutes. Um, so let's move on. The archaeological discoveries and historical sources provide an extra non-biblical framework for the existence of Jesus. And the Gospels are the primary sources about Jesus, and we should study them carefully to learn more about Jesus and his life. But just briefly, one sentence, what story in the life and ministry of Jesus panel has impacted you the most? The story of the woman who had the uh, issue of blood for 12 years when she was healed. Jesus said to her something which really has affected me. He said, daughter. He called her daughter, and I thought, how beautiful. He loves, accepts, and in the case of this woman, he healed her. Just very quickly, I'm thinking of uh, John chapter 7. I think it is about verse 37 where Jesus was talking after the feeding of the 5,000 the previous day. He's in the synagogue, and he's talking to the people. 
And he says, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Now, many, many people who have been at the end of their tether, so to speak, spiritually, when you read that verse, it gives you hope. It gives you comfort. It also gives you a future. He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Thank you, Brenton. One thing that comes to me is the man who was sick with palsy and Jesus said to him, uh, wilt thou be made whole? Rise, take up your bed and walk. And to me, that stuck out very much to me that Christ was saying to me, do you want to be whole, Helen? Just trust me. Um, and that had a big impact on me. Uh, Ken, you wanted to say something? Yes, I, I want to say that sir, there's just so many passages of the Bible that has impacted me, but I think the one, the greatest impact is the fact that Jesus died for me. Just before you go, Helen, I just want to mention quickly that uh, in the life of Jesus, what uh, really amazes me, that people who didn't believe in Jesus, Pilate, or like the soldier at the cross, declaring about him that he's the son of God, aiming that woman, daughter, that was something into that, like a young man, because Jesus was a young man, to call her daughter. He was more than Jesus, the young man. He was God, the creator, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's amazing. Thank you so much. Hebrews 11 tells us a brief history of God's people living by faith down through the ages. It's known as a faith chapter. And these people had a great impact on the future of others besides themselves. Quickly, just going to share four of them. There's many more. But um, Ken, can you share us a just a short thing about Noah. Noah acted in faith when he built the ark, trusting in the word of God over experience and reason, because it had never rained. Experience and reason suggested that a flood made absolutely no sense, but Noah obeyed God and the human race survived. And it actually took 120 years for Noah to build the ark, so he was preaching all that time and trusting God with no evidence of rain. What about Abraham? Well, he once was called Abram. He lived in Ur in southern Mesopotamia, which was probably the most sophisticated city in the world at that time. God called him out, and he went out not knowing where God would lead him. But he chose to act on God's word. It's that word again, chose, choices. Mm. Yes, thank you, Len. Brenton, can you share anything about Moses, please? Well, Moses is an interesting character. Just very, very quickly, he probably thought before he went, fled to Midian that he was ready to lead God's people out of Egypt. We um, have a situation at the end of 40 years, he feels like he's anything other than ready. If you read uh, the early chapters of Exodus, you'll find there are five excuses that he gives for not wanting to go back to Egypt to lead the children of Israel. And each time God says to him, look, I will be with you. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he was ready as far as God was concerned. And I think this is important because had he never done that, had he stayed in Egypt, you'd probably be able to visit his pyramid today or his tomb and have a look at his body. Instead of that, we know from the Bible that he's actually up in heaven currently. He's Mm -hmm. already in the promised land that we're looking forward to. Thank you, Brenton. Um, It reminds me of a saying that Moses suffered from MIS, 
which was Moses and Adequi syndrome, but when he gave his life at the burning bush, he became Moses, an inspired speaker, did he not? And God used him mightily. Um, Will, how about sharing about Rahab, please? Uh, Rahab is a woman that uh, decided to uh, trust the reports of God's deliverance, and she uh, protected the spies that were sent in and uh, became part, uh, believe it or not, of the lineage of Jesus. This is quite inspiring, in fact. Here is an unknown, formerly unknown woman that decides to uh, do what God requires of her, and um, she becomes part of the lineage of Jesus. Amazing. In fact, Helen, I believe that we little know decisions will affect our future lives. Um, I mean, Daniel never knew that he would become a great prophet, and Rahab becomes... uh, um, progenitor of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. Yeah, just very quickly, uh, just to mention even some other characters, you know, like Samson, for example, a very uh, good character, you know, people are, uh, and children are very much in love with that too. Um, but just very s- summarily um, to mention, for example, Samson, through faith, he defeated his enemies. Rahab, as was mentioned, through faith, she saved her life and her family alive. Moses, he left Egypt through faith. Uh, Joseph, through faith, he saw the exod of Israel. And Sarah, she gave birth to a seed through faith again. Abraham entered to the promised land through faith. Noah, through faith, he saved his life and also his family life. As Enoch, through faith. He didn't experience death, but he walked with God and was translated into heaven. I thought this, uh, all these characters, you know, through faith, they really had a, a, a good outcome. Oh, Amen. Thank you. Lynn? Well, today we've been studying about Bible as history. Uh, God let these people, Abram, Moses, Daniel, Holohol, Nick mentioned some. The question is, where is God leading you? I don't mean just necessarily the members of the panel. Where is God leading you? And the second question, what's your response to that? Are you following his leading or are you disregarding it? Thank you, Len. It's worth thinking about. Will, you mentioned uh, a statement that you read through the week and it started off with he, he who has a knowledge of God. Could you share that with us, please? Yes, um, he who has a knowledge of God and his word has a settled faith in the divinity of the Holy Scriptures. He does not test the Bible by man's ideas of science. He brings these ideas to the test of the unerring standard that is the Bible. He knows that uh, God's word is truth, uh, and truth can never contradict itself. Whatever in the teaching of so-called science contradicts the truth of God's revelation is uh, really mere human guesswork. Thank you, Will. I think we need to finish up now, but I just want to mention that history is not merely a dry subject to a lot of people to pass in high school or college. It is our story. It is his story. And if God had been personally working throughout the history of the world, 
don't you believe that he is still active in our lives today? Do we still experience miraculous deliveries from the powers of our enemies, disease and hardship? We often read of the miracles performed in the Bible and wonder whether such miracles still occur today. And I can actually testify today that they do, for I am God's walking miracle of healing today. And if we were to collect all the true miracle stories of God's healings and dreams he has sent and his work over the course of our personal lives today from our Christian families around the world and the faith that we that grows, would we not be able to fill a book? I believe so, because faith in God is always an essential part of our journey toward the kingdom of heaven. Hebrews 11.6 says, For it is impossible to please him without faith. The more we trust him, follow him, surrender to him, the closer we will come to him. So let's finish in prayer. Brenton, would you pray for us, please? Certainly. Our Father in heaven, we have studied history today, but to you, Lord, we know that the past, the present and the future are all alike. For us humble human beings, we've been given history in order to teach us lessons. And sometimes, Lord, we're very slow learners. I pray that as a result of this Bible study today, not only we as a panel, but those who listen to this program may realise that God is active in their lives individually if they will surrender themselves to him. Their history is in the past. Their future is in the hands of God. And we pray, Lord, that we may be fully surrendered to you today in order that that glorious future that you have for us may be realised as we look back on the men and women of faith that we have studied today. May this be our experience. May we leave this study today determined that we will be like Daniel. We will not defile ourselves. We will uh, follow you faithfully through thick or thin, knowing that at the end of the journey, God is there waiting for us. Thank you for hearing our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And thank you, everyone, for sharing today your thoughts. And uh, may God bless you all. Also, for everyone who's listening to this program, I pray to God that you will be enriched and um, you will be prompted to study the Bible more and to find out the relevance of the Bible about history. Also, I would like to let you know that next week, we are going to look into the prophecy, as uh, Will was uh, alluded to, mentioning about the importance of uh, prophecy and talking about the historicism point of view, understanding history and the Bible. Also, we are going to talk about uh, the year and day principle, uh, identifying the little horn, which uh, it's uh, interesting, uh, you know, from Daniel 7, the judgment and so on. Please Join us back again next week. Until then, may God be with you. Don't forget, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.